We're in a series in 2 Corinthians. I'm going to draw your attention to chapter 7 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 is where we are. And, and I, I just want to talk with you for a few moments about um, when you follow the Lord in faith, and yet you, you want to be a believer in Jesus, and you want to follow the Lord in faith, and yet even as you do that, you know there are days that you blow it. And um, just, just look to your neighbor and say, um, you blew it. And then, then look back at them, look at your neighbor now and say, are you talking to yourself again? <laughs> do you do that? <laughs> yeah. I'm always scared when a person says, I, I've never sinned. I, I back up for the bolt of lightning comes, right? Yeah. Yeah, because we all have blown it. We've all, and, and we're, all, we're all crooked in one way or another, and some of us can hide it better than others. And some of us just up, up and up, do it. but then here's what happens. When we've blown it, what Satan would love to do is to not only knock you down, but then keep you down. And one of the ways he does that is to say to you, in a rehearsed kind of a way, your sin is what locks you into your past. So he keeps you in your past for a sin that you did maybe a year or two or five or 10 or 20 years ago. And then you've concluded that God will never be pleased with me. You never say that out loud, but you're, you, when I say that, you go, yeah, that would be me. Because you know God will never be pleased with me because I can never measure up because I did. And then they'll tell me, they'll tell me the actual sin they committed back in 1999 or some other time. You know, they just, and, and you know what? I would say this, that's exactly what Satan wants you to think is that God would never be pleased. And yet you're one of his kids. He's pleased with you. He's not pleased with everything that you do, but he is pleased with you. And I'm going to help you get out of that trap today just in a few minutes as we read 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Because Satan wants to paralyze you, wants to keep you stuck in that past sin. And then here's what happens. If you think you're stuck in that past sin, then you're more likely to commit the sin again. Any of you ever, um, and I need you all to show your hands when this happens, if this has happened to you. Any of you ever sinned, confessed it to God, said, please forgive me, and then you find yourself sometime in the future, in a later date, you commit the same sin again? That ever happened? Okay, I'm not alone. Okay. All right. Um, and then... And then you, you confess it again, and then you confess again, and then you say to the Lord, how many times are you going to do this? You know, keep forgiving me. And the answer, what Jesus gave to the disciples was seven times, 70 times, seven, you know. And if you're counting that up in your head, then you got the wrong idea. The idea was the Lord just keeps forgiving, and that's the way we are with each other, right? But what happens is this, is if you don't, uh, let go of that sin it will hang on to you like an anchor and it will drag you down the rest of your life and then you'll tend to fall back to that sin and that will become that will become what the scriptures call your your point of of kind of weakness it will become your uh, default sin and and then what happens is that becomes what defines you when you pray and when you worship and then you repeat the same mistakes you're more likely to go back because that's your favorite kind of weakness it's your sin and you kind of nurture that, and so you come to expect it. And sometimes, sometimes that can even be generational. I mean, you, you got it from your mom or your dad, or you think you got it from your, your black hair or red hair or green eyes or blue eyes or whatever it is you think you got. You think maybe this is just part of who I am. And 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul is addressing some of the sins of the people in the church in Corinth. The, the conversation does not go well. And so he has to write again. That's why there is a second Corinthians. But there's actually another letter or two. 
And there are some visits by not only Paul, but then by some of his buddies, Titus and others. But they're trying to correct the behavior because it's difficult to overcome. I say that to you to say this. If you're struggling with sin, welcome to the club. You know, 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, he calls them friends, even though they're sinners. He doesn't go, hey, while I'm talking to you about these promises, you sinners. He doesn't do that. He goes, no, I call you my friends. Keep reading. Let us purify ourselves. Let's make ourselves holy, okay, before the Lord. Purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and the spirit, perfecting holiness. And why do we do that? Out of reverence for God. We do this for God, not only for our own good, but for really for God's reputation. And so what he's saying is God is in the life-changing business. He wants you to be holy, but not just holy in, as you get ready for heaven. He wants you to be holy because it contaminates your body and your spirit. In other words, what you can see and what you can't see. What, what is material, what is immaterial. And he's perfecting holiness. Why? Out of reverence for God. So when Paul writes to these issues now, if you keep, keep reading, uh, they're not going to go well with the church in Corinth, and so he has to keep addressing them. Skip down to verse um, 8. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, this is when he scolded them, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. Have you ever said, oh, I don't regret it, I regret it. Oh, I, I, I love that uh, hot fudge brownie delight. Boy, I don't regret it. Oh, boy, I regret it. Right? Okay. Yes. He says, I don't regret it, my sorrowful letter, but now I, although I did regret it, though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Verse 9, yet I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, so you were not harmed by us in any, any way by us. He's saying, I, I regretted doing it, but I'm glad that I did it. Why? Because it got you to this point of godly sorrow, which led, you to, which led you to repentance. Now, stop there, because the word repentance is probably one of the most misunderstood terms in the Bible. Some people would view repentance as uh, weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth. Ah! No, that's not repentance. If it is, then every, repentant, every kid I've seen in Target is repentant. <laughs> Oh, my word. He's not repentant. He just needs a nap, as do most people in that store. So enough of that. But that is not, it's not weeping. It's not wailing. It's not gnashing of teeth. It's, it, and then here's the other thing. Some people, I, I, I've, you've been in, in front of an officer, maybe not you, but you've seen it, where someone's been in front of an officer, they're weeping, or in front of a courtroom and a judge, and they're weeping. They're not repentant. They're just sorry they got caught. You understand the difference? Yes, okay. The fact that so many of you nodded kind of scares me. <laughs> I will keep moving without looking up. Okay, so what does repentance really mean? Uh, the Greek word for uh, repentance is the word meta, change, meta, uh, like metaphysics, meta, change, and it's noia, nagan, change of mind. You change your thinking. So you viewed this one way, I can steal for a living and get away with it. No, I can't steal for a living. I need to work for a living. That's a change of mind, which then leads to a change of not only thought, but then a change of action, which leads to a new pattern of life. That's repentance. I find a different way because this way doesn't work. I change my mind, which affects my, my body, which affects my soul, my emotions, so I'm joyful about it, although it's not very happy initially. 
it becomes joyful eventually because I know it's the better path eventually and I strike a new path which is way more productive. That is true repentance. Now, uh, a number of years ago we had um, some water at our house and it kept recurring and I had a water specialist tell me this guy just, he knew all things about water and pumps and all that kind of stuff. I said, so what's going on? He goes, well, your, your house flooded. <laughs> okay. I'm paying you for this information. Yes, I, I know that. He goes, yeah, the chances of flooding again are like close to 100%. Okay, but if I stop the water, he goes, you can't stop the water because the water's going to find its way in. And if you stop, it'll just find a different way in. You're not giving me a lot of hope here, buddy. And he says, uh, the problem with it is, is your house has flooded historically, which means water has hit the house when it rains, and it runs down the house. It runs down into the basement to the footer, runs under the footer and back up in your floor. You can't stop that. So I said, okay, so what do you do? He goes, well, you've got to redirect the water because it is going to rain again, probably. And when it rains again, you're not going to stop at your, your concrete walls and your block and all that stuff. It's not going to stop it. So what you have to do is catch the water and then move the water on a different path. Whoa. That's repentance. So I did what every good preacher does. I, I cursed my house and screamed at it. like a, That's what preachers do. We yell at people, make them. But no, it didn't work. Instead, you have to find a new path for the water. He said, actually, there's so much water coming down. He says, probably under your house, there are water pathways because water erodes the dirt. He says, probably you're standing on shallow little rivers underneath that. I'm going, you're not, you are not giving me all kinds of hope here, buddy. He goes, you ever heard of the Grand Canyon? <laughs> that was built by water. Okay, we're going to divert this before we have a Grand Canyon under my house. And we divert the water away. And, and that's the repentance. You, you find where it's coming through and find a new path and get it away, even if it is to the neighbor's basement. Okay. <laughs> I just tell you that so you know you're not the only sinner in the group. Just... <laughs> that is repentance. It's a change of mind which leads to a change of path, to a new path. It may be sorrowful initially, but eventually you'll go, yeah, this is the right path. Okay. And so you go back and read the Psalms. They do the same thing. Whoever covers his sin, he'll always be miserable. You've got to cut it out. You've got to get rid of it. But if I turn myself into the Lord and completely detox from that sin, I find a new joyful path. It's a different life. My burden is lifted. When I hang on to my sin and cover it and hold it and deny it and somehow work around it, it says it's like my bones are wasting away. You ever had that feeling? That's when you cover your sin. So just repent of it. Now, verse 10, here's the key verse to the whole passage. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. Wow, back up, read that again. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Wow, worldly sorrow brings death. So there's two kinds of sorrow here. There's godly sorrow and ungodly sorrow. Godly sorrow brings repentance and life, and ungodly sorrow brings all kinds of regret and ultimately death. Godly sorrow, I don't even have to explain what ungodly sorrow does because you kind of know that in your own life. But godly sorrow brings repentance and change, life change, and God is in the life change business. 
And so you keep reading verse 10, now go to verse 11. See this, godly sorrow has produced in you, it's an eagerness, an earnestness. What eagerness to clear yourselves. So God, I see God in the midst of this, and I'm eager, I am anxious, I'm, I'm, I'm actually excited for the life change. See it? What earnestness, what eagerness, what indignation. In other words, you're emotionally charged. What indignation. I can't believe that I used to believe that lie. I'm alarmed by it, actually. What longing. So now I'm, I'm, I'm reaching for something new, something different. What concern. So it's mentally, emotionally, spiritually, in every way, I'm engaged with this kind of life change. So there's a readiness to see justice done. In other words, I'm going to make this right. That's why when a surgeon goes in and has to clean out infection, they don't want to get like, oh, we got most of it. No, they want to get all of it. Why? Because if some of it's left, what happens? It will come back. So said, and we're not stopping until we get to justice, until it's completely clean. Go back to the theme of holiness in chapter, chapter 7, verse 1. Let me tell you a couple stories. One is the story of Alfonso. Alfonso came to the realization one day that his words really mattered. Alfonso's married and has kids, they're growing up, but he, Alfonso's had the habit all of his life. He's always gotten his way, and he does it through anger. If he doesn't get it, he just pushes, he just turns up the temperature. And he learned that from his family. It's what his family did. It's the way he, his dad got his way, it's the way Alfonso gets his way. And he would blow up, and then things would settle down, and that was kind of the family tradition. But you could put it on heritage, and you could put it on ethnicity. You could put it anywhere you want. It was just plain selfishness on his part. And he began to realize that when he saw that his wife would stand up to him, but his kids didn't. His kids actually backed away when he got to that bully kind of point. But the problem with it was this. When his kids were 4, 6, and 8, and 10, and 12, he could handle that. But as they became 12, 14, 16, 18, they backed away, but they never came back in close again. And he began to realize, I'm going to lose my kids. And so he didn't change because he thought he wanted to be more godly. He changed because he saw the death of his relationship with his family. He saw his family eventually falling apart. And so what does he do? He confesses his sin before God. He says, God, help me. I, I, can't, I can't help myself. Just help me. He talks to a guy in church and says, you got to help me. I have a way of pushing people around. And the guy goes, yeah, I, I can understand that. And he goes, I want you to help me with this. He, he talks to his wife and says, I, I, I really need help. And after he starts some new pathways, a new waterway, if you will, of how to manage his emotions, after he begins that, then one night he says to the kids, we're going to have dinner, and after dinner we're going to talk at the table, and I want to tell you about my new pathway. That, my friend, is repentance. Okay? Let me give you another story. It's the story of Mary. Anger is not her issue. Her issue is gossip. She loves to be in the know. She loves to be heard. She loves the power of knowing something that you don't know. She loves the pleasure of telling you something that's really off limits, but she loves it anyway. And then one day she gets hurt by her own gossip, and she sees the destructive nature of her own words, and it hurts, but it really hurts because it's her. And it's in her pain that she realizes, I can't continue to gossip and expect to have trusted friends. They're always going to hold me at arm's distance because I'm a gossip. And they know I gossip about others, I'm going to gossip about them. And it's in that moment that she begins to realize, it, see the brain difference there? 
she begins to realize, I have to have a metanoia, a change of mind about the way I use my mouth and the way I think about people and the way I handle people, the way I treat or mistreat people. And so she confesses her sin before God, but that's not all because the gossip has really affected other people along the way. And so what does she do? She has to confess that to her girlfriends. And so she circles them up and says, this is what I am. I am a gossip. And they go, oh, really? We didn't know that. To which she goes, they're liars. They had to know. Because it's as plain as it is to me. And now all of a sudden she's aware of it. But her humility allows her to confess. And then those girls take her in and say, we'll help you. And she goes, well, all I need you to do is this. When you see me headed towards gossip, just, just say, you know what? Let's talk about something else. Redirect the path of water. You get that? Or um, how about if we get to a more productive conversation? Is this talk really productive? Great question, isn't it? Or is this going down an alley we don't want to go down? And that, my friend, that is repentance. All the weeping, the wailing, the gnashing of teeth doesn't really matter. What matters is a change of mind which leads to a change of, of heart and a, and a change of action which leads to a change of habit which strikes out a whole new future. Now you're saying, how in the world can you do that? Well, uh, I need to get help from another text or two. So if you're taking notes, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 is a verse you need. If you don't have it memorized, memorize it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He will forgive us of our sins and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we confess our sins. You confess the sins that you do know and you confess them completely because you want to be holy, chapter seven, verse one, in body and in spirit. And having done that, he he cleanses you from all of your sin, even the stuff you, you don't realize is really going on yet. And he, he not only cleanses you from that sin, but he, he presents you before the Father as holy and pure and right. Now, the word confess means to say the same thing. That's what it means, really. Because sometimes we say, well, confess just means I, 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 uh, I say I'm sorry. No, it's not saying you're sorry. It's saying... God calls this sin, and now I call this sin. You call it what God calls it. Selfishness is sin. Bribery is sin. Jealousy, anger, strife, sin. Okay? All the stuff that divides brothers and sisters, it's a sin. And, and that confession needs to be as broad. It needs to be, call it what God calls it, but it needs to be as broad as what the offense is. So, if a husband and wife uh, sin with, at each other, then they need to confess it to each other. They don't need to put it in the newspaper. We don't need to hear it. Frankly, it's not news. Right? It's not. But if your sin has affected a wave of people, then a wave of people need to know your change of mind about it and what you're calling it now. I was wrong. Please forgive me. What I find is this. Most people will. And those who won't, wouldn't no matter what you do. So let that go. So you say what God says about it. You, you confess it to the extent that of those who have been affected. And as often as it occurs. In other words, if you keep 
if that sin comes back, you confess it again. If it comes back, you confess it again. Why? Because that's all God's asking you to do is you get it out in front and you call it what it is, you're going to have victory over it. But if you begin to cover it, deny it, shelter it, shield it, somehow nurture it, that's when you're going to get in trouble. And so how do you keep that pathway clean? When you get it clean, how do you keep it clean? Any of you have a kitchen table at home or a countertop? or an island, or a doorknob. <laughs> does it collect stuff? Yeah, yeah, it does, doesn't it? And you don't even know how it got there, right? You don't even know how it got there. It just That table was clean yesterday. How, did it get, it got, how does it get a week of mail on it in, in three days? It has seven days of mail, and, and three of these are from people who owned this house 20 years ago. How do they, how do they know that we're not, that there's been two new owners since these people? You get mail, and, and there's newspapers, and there's stuff from your door, and uh, stuff comes from, uh, from the daytime delivery. I love it when the daytime delivery comes, not because they, they, they drop stuff at your door, and, they, and then they ring the doorbell and then leave. So when you go to get this stuff, it's at the door, but your door, it's up against your door. You can't open the door because it's, it's right there. You can see it, but you can't open your door. So you have to go out the garage, kick the stuff, and wave to the truck and say, I forgive you. <laughs> Some of you are delivery truck people. You're going, really? Yes, really. That's what they do in my neighborhood. So how do you strike a new path? How do you do that? Because the when you confess your sin, he, he, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So the table's clean. How do I stay clean? Let me just give you a short lesson on the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I gave it to you, the full notes, so you could take this with you, because it's so important to get. I'm giving you these four to create the new path. Number one, you just stay in step with what the Holy Spirit's doing in your life. Uh, Galatians chapter 5. Stay in step. Walk in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the desires of the flesh if you just stay in stride with the spirit Galatians 5 the day you trusted Christ the Holy Spirit moved into your life you may not have even realized that but he's there as a friend and as a confidant and as, as a helper read, uh, read John 14, 15 16 You're, you'll, you'll catch on to the, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life Okay. That's not all, though. You want to stay not only in stride, but secondly, you don't want to do the things that grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Don't grieve. In other words, don't be the dripping faucet of just to drive the Holy Spirit crazy because he's in your life. Don't do the things that are like a dripping faucet that grieve. And certainly, don't pour water on what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. That's Don't quench the work of the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. You ever done something and you realize, I just violated what the scriptures say. Don't raise your hand. But right there, that's, that's quenching the spirit of God. And what, what the Lord wants us to do is immediately confess that. I, that was a violation. Don't quench, don't pour water on the fire that the Holy Spirit's building in your own life. And then number four, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, let the Holy Spirit have access. And you may need to pray Father in heaven, I know Jesus is in my life. I need the Holy Spirit to have control of my hands today, my heart, my head, my feet, my tongue, my tongue, my tongue. I need the Holy Spirit just to operate every corner of my life. 
because I'm going to get myself in trouble. Interesting analogy, if you go back to this Ephesians 5 passage, if you get the context, it's this, and it's crazy if you don't, if you don't just hang on with me for a minute. He says, don't get, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. I love that word, debauchery. <clears throat> don't get drunk on wine. What with you, if you are filled with wine, that affects your speech, right? Your walk, your thinking. How many of you have been around a sad drunk before? A happy drunk, an argumentative drunk, a fighting drunk. Yeah, don't point, just raise your hand. It affects, it affects your speech, it affects your thinking, it affects your mood, right? Because you are under the influence of the alcohol, right? And he takes that word picture, and that's where we get Ephesians 5, 18, but be filled under the control of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, man, do you see he's under this, he's responding the way Jesus would. He's emoting the way Jesus would emote. She's, she's thinking the way Jesus is thinking. She's acting the way Jesus would act. Well, how can they do that? Because they're under the influence. Okay? So once the table's clear, then keep in step with what the Spirit wants to do. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Certainly don't quench what the Spirit's doing. And then finally, just be filled with the Holy Spirit. And at the end of the day, just know this. Thank God in heaven. Why? Because he's still in the life change business. He's in the life change business of your friends. And that's good news. Let me tell you the great news. He's in the life change business of you and of me. Praise him. Hmm? Praise him. So Father in heaven, we love you. And we thank you that you don't give up on us. May we love you with uh, not just our hearts getting ready for heaven, but with our whole body, soul, spirit, everything about us, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.